If you would, please uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, and we'll be reading from verses 1 through 12. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 23, and we'll begin in verse 1. This is the Word of the Lord. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but not according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. They broaden their uh, phylacteries and lengthen their tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text that we have here. There's not enough uh, rhetoric, there's not enough logic, there's not enough uh, human will to do the purpose of this text, which is to make us more like Christ and less like ourselves. It's only a work that your Spirit does through your Word, and I pray that uh, your Spirit would illumine our minds, convict our hearts, use your Word to show us those things that we need to put into practice. Father, not that we'll have more information at the end, but that we'll have information that we can live out and apply to our daily lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Exaltation in one easy step. Uh, we are a society that's infatuated with ourselves, are we not? We go around taking pictures of ourselves, and uh, which is Fascinating, you know. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed that for me it caught me by surprise when we were doing the graduation ceremony uh, how many uh, pictures there were of um, uh, in a bathroom mirror. I was like, who takes a picture of themselves in the bathroom all dressed up? Uh, it, for me that seems quite awkward, quite weird, but we are a society that is in love with ourselves. And so uh, it seems... Uh, like it'd be appropriate to see how can we be exalted, and if we could do it in one easy step, that would be fantastic, would it not? Don't you, don't you know, want to know how you could be exalted in one easy step? Uh, we have uh, Cervantes, he, he wrote about uh, Don Quixote, and uh, Don Quixote, he, he became enamored with this idea of being a knight and, and being someone uh, important. He wanted to have the glory of the knights. He, he read about the stories. He read about what they did. And Cervantes wrote, in short, he became so 
absorbed in his books that he spent his nights from sunset to sunrise and his days from dawn to dark poring over them. And what little sleep and much reading, his brains got so dry that he lost his wits. His fancy grew full of what he used to read about in his books, enchantments, quarrels, battles, challenges, wounds, wooings, loves, agonies, and all sorts of impossible nonsense. And it so possessed his mind that the whole fabric of invention and fantasy he read was true. That to him, no history in the world had more reality in it. He got so enamored with being a knight, so infatuated with being a knight, he read about it day and night. And if you ever read Don Quixote, if you ever seen it, it didn't change his status one bit. In fact, uh, it's quite comical to see him chasing after windmills, thinking that they're dragons. Here's a person that wanted to be exalted. And in this quest for being exalted, it says that his brains got so dried that he lost his wits. And that's what we're kind of seeing here in this passage. It's, it's dealing with uh, religious leaders. In chapters 21, 22, he's been addressing these religious leaders using parables, using different things. Uh, chapter 24 and 25, he's going to move into some future events. And these future events are for the purpose of causing them to repent and to turn to God, to look to God. Chapter 23 is kind of a bridge between uh, addressing the leaders and then uh, talking about the future events, and he's going to first speak to his disciples, and then he's going to go into uh, a bunch of woes. Woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe. And then to Jerusalem. These woes that he says, woe to them. And it's calling them to attention, calling them to repent, calling them to seek after God. And what's interesting is that he's addressing individuals who, it's not that they're ignorant. They've studied. They've studied and studied and studied, and yet it seems like they have lost their wits and their brains have dried out in all their studying. What we're going to be looking at specifically in this text is that Christians must be taught by Christ and apply his teachings to their lives. Christians must be taught by Christ and apply his teachings to their lives. It has two parts. You can't divorce the two. You can't say, no, I'm all about learning. I want to learn, learn, learn. Because that learning has a purpose, which is to put it into practice. And you can't go on this side and say, I just want to go and do. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. We just got to go do. I'm not one of these persons about books and so forth. I just need to go serve the Lord. What do you want to serve him doing? I don't know. Therefore, culture then becomes the standard. And so whatever culture dictates is the right thing to be involved in, well, that's what the person gets involved in. But we're going to see that there's two aspects here. It's being taught by Christ and applying his teachings to, to their lives, to our lives. And you have to have both of them. Now, how do you do this? The first thing that we'll see is just two points. We're, we're going to be done super quick. Just two points. The first point is by living for God, by living for God. And that we see in verses 1 through 7. So Christians must be taught by Christ and apply his teachings to their lives. And the first way we do this is by living for God. And we see that in verses 1 through 7. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. So there's a shift that happens. 
There's a shift from addressing the, the leaders, the spiritual leaders, to now going back to the crowds. If you remember before the religious leaders came, there was this whole uh, crowd that he, Jesus was healing and teaching. He was involved with them, and then they came in, these religious leaders, and kind of disrupted that. Now he moves back to speaking to these individuals. And one thing I want to point out before we uh, move further is the perspective of this text. Now, obviously, Matthew is writing this post-Paschal, after the cross, right? And that becomes very evident in the... Uh, uh, in the Great Commission to go and make disciples out of uh, the world, uh, go all over, make disciples. But this text here, we have to understand that it's pre paschal before the cross. And if that distinction is not observed carefully, we'll get to some weird interpretations about the church and, and offices in the church, ministries in the church, etc. So just have that perspective in mind as we work through this text that he is addressing uh, the crowd and the disciples before the cross, before the church. And what he says is, the scribes and Pharisees, they have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. This uh, brings this idea of a place of authority. If you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 1, 9 through 18, uh, Moses, who was the religious leader, he was the political leader, he was the judge, he was the lawgiver, uh, he had actually brought Israel out of Egypt, this celebration that they're at right now, the Passover is because of Moses uh, being used by God to take Israel out. Uh, he got to a point in the wonderings that he was um, really tired of dealing with all the issues. There were so many problems between one another that it got to a point that he appointed leaders that would be judges. And they had the responsibility to be dealing with things. However, every once in a while, certain things they uh, could not interpret correctly. They, they just did not know how to apply this situation, the law to this situation. And so when it became too difficult, there was, they couldn't handle it, they were supposed to bring those issues to Moses. And Moses was going to be the final authority to interpret the law. Jesus is saying here is that these people have set themselves up not as one of the leaders under Moses. No. They're the ones who have set themselves in Moses' seat. They're the final authority. They're the last word on interpreting the law. And that's how they've set themselves up. And he says, therefore, uh, therefore all that they tell you do and observe but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Here Jesus uses a, a bit of irony, uh, which is a, a, a figure of speech that's uh, used in a way to highlight the, what the speaker is saying. He, he puts a special intention on do and observe, which are two imperatives, two commands. They're not suggestions. These are imperatives, things that they are supposed to do, to be doing and observing. And of course, he's talking about the Word of God, the law, in this context. To do and observe. These aren't suggestions. These aren't things like, if you have time, uh, then you can do and observe. You can study this out. You can pay attention to this. But, you know, if you don't have time, it's okay. They're, they're not suggestions. These are imperatives. These are things they must do. It's always interesting talking to individuals they'll share with me that they, uh, they don't have time to read God's Word. 
And, and usually uh, you don't see them go a whole month without uh, eating any food because they say, well, I've just been so tired I haven't eaten all month. And usually they never say, well, I haven't slept all month because I've just, I've been so busy. Yet they have time to eat and have time to sleep, but many times, when was the last time you opened God's Word? Well, I read it last Sunday on the screen. But has there been any time where you're doing and observing, learning from God's Word? It's kind of hard to make the case that you don't have time when there's time for everything else. We all have 24 hours. We all make priorities on certain things. And this speaks more of ourselves when we decide to put other things before the doing and observing, the learning of God's Word. He tells them, but you're not supposed to do it like them because they, they tell you to do things, but they don't do them themselves. It's like these parents, and uh, they're admonishing the kid not to smoke, and they got the cigarette between their fingers and said, don't you be smoking now. It's a bit hypocritical. I mean, really, you know? Or they got the bottle of whatever in their hand and they say, you shouldn't be drinking. You know, it's like, it's a bit hypocritical. And that's what they're doing here. They're, they don't do it themselves, but they have a whole list of things that they're telling other people to do. They admonish people to go and witness and they haven't even left a track for anyone. Haven't shared the gospel. Yeah, these are individuals who they tell you to do and observe, but they don't apply it to their own lives. In verse 4 it says, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. They themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. That's what they're about. They're about bound, putting heavier and heavier burdens on individuals. Making things uh, harder and harder for them. Do they get involved? No, they don't get involved. They're just there to give more and more weight. And it really goes against like what Jesus said, that if you're uh, burdened and heavy laden to come to him because his yoke is light, uh, this, uh, it, Jesus' yoke is very light. But these individuals want to give pressure and more pressure and more pressure. Dane Ortland in uh, Gentle and Lowly writes that uh, Jesus' yoke is, uh, is like a life vest. You might be drowning, but you take the life vest because it lifts you up out of your circumstance. And that's how Jesus' yoke is. It, it doesn't weigh you down. It picks you up. It, it's light. It doesn't make any sense because we picture the yoke as being heavy, but not Jesus' yoke. Jesus' yoke picks you up. They're about pushing people down. And what do they do? Verse 5. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men. They broaden their phylacteries. Those were these uh, little leather boxes. Uh, sometimes they attached them to their forehead or they put them on their hand. And the purpose was that they could hide Scripture in them. And by hiding the Scripture in them, they could be remembering about God and be applying God. But rather than using it to get to know God, they're using it to exalt themselves. And it says that they're broadening them. So instead of it being a small, discreet box, they're going around with a big old box on their forehead. Look how godly I am, guys. You know, walking around. I mean, how absurd is this? I would shake your hand, but my box is too big where I've got all my scriptures. That's what they're doing. They're exalting themselves. Look at me. We were at a church that uh, 
kind of very conservative. And uh, there was an individual there who, uh, the, the church had this idea that men's hair shouldn't touch their collar in the, in the back and uh, shouldn't touch their ears. And uh, so uh, the, the guy had just gotten his hair cut, and I was sitting right behind him. I was supposed to give a missionary presentation, so I'm kind of sitting on the second row. The guy's sitting right in the front row, and he's talking to his other preacher buddies, and, and uh, his hairline, he had had it cut all the way halfway up his head. He wanted to make sure that his hair was not going to touch his collar, and then he had the ear line kind of shaved up too, really high. And, um, and he kept on saying, you can't get a door too straight. I was like, but you can get it straight and just be done with it, right? The door will close, right? Uh, there, there's an absurdity to this where they're trying and trying and trying to please God, but it's not really pleasing God. It's not about God at all. It's so that people can see them. Not only do they do that, but their tassels. So their garment has these tassels that go down, and they could be really short little tassels. But no, they've got these long extended tassels going down so that everyone can make sure that they know that they are on fire for the Lord. It has nothing to do about God. It has to do everything about people seeing them and being recognized for how spiritual and how godly they are. And just in case someone does not notice, well, let's just make the box just a wee bit bigger. Let's make the tassel just a little bit longer. That way, in case you're sitting on the back row, you can see how big the box is and how big the tassels are. Their focus is on individuals. And in verse 6, it says they love the place of honor at the banquet. You have all the tables where the regular folks sat, but then you've got that table that's uh, where the, the host and his honored guests are. Oh, they love sitting at that table, reclining there, chit-chatting with the host. They're all about that. And the chief seats in the synagogue. The synagogue would have had um, one seat where the president of the synagogue would sit and, and he would read the text and the people would gather around, but sometimes they would have some other seats kind of on the, on the edges uh, right there beside the president's seat. And they would love to have those seats and be sitting right beside him. And all the people gathered around them to, to look at the text as, as the rabbi is teaching. They're, they're all about this. They love this. And then they're in the marketplaces. And they hear these respectful greetings. Rabbi. Wow, isn't that great? They've studied to be able to interpret to the nth degree. Not only have they studied the text, but they have studied the interpretations of the text. They've, been studied, they've even studied the interpretations of the text by others who have commented on the text so that they can be able to say everything perfectly. Not to do the text so that people know they know their stuff. They call them rabbi. Isn't that great? Wouldn't it be nice to be called rabbi as you're going through the marketplace? Rabbi. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about for them. Now, in this, we see something going on with these religious leaders. There, there's a separation that's happened. Um, a separation that's happened between what they know theologically and then what they are practicing. You can call it a gap. You can call it a, a disconnect. But there is a separation between what they know and what they practice. 
they, they know a bunch of stories. They do. You can ask them, hey, uh, tell me that story about Daniel and, and the lion's den. And they'll just start going on and on and on about the story and, and saying, hey, how about that story about, um, about uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, vision, about that statue? And they start going off about, about the head of gold, the chest of silver, bronze and iron, and then iron and mud, and they give all the details. And then you come over here and you say, what does that story of Daniel and the lion's den mean for you to live today? What what, what does that statue say about God? What what does that revelation share about God, his attributes, his person? They don't have a clue. That information does not come over here. It's like there's a gap between one and the other. So that they have information, but they don't practice it. Now, what happens when we have this type of gap, when we have this disconnect, when we have this type of separation, rather than turning to God and seeking to deepen our relationship with Him, to know Him so that we can apply those things correctly, what we start to do is we start coming up with pious things that we need to start doing. And I'll give you an example. There's that story of uh, Daniel and the lion's den. What does it mean? I don't know. I think what it means is we need to be going to church Sunday and Wednesdays. We need to be faithful to the Lord. Is that what that story says? You got to be faithful to the Lord going to church? <laughs> don't put the church there. <laughs> don't do it. There's a disconnect. So we, what we start doing is start inventing exterior things in our life. And you see all these individuals that have all these external things that they must be doing. Why? Because they have not gotten close to God. They have no clue what it means to have a relationship with God. They're totally separate. They're doing all these activities over here. And as they're doing it, they become burdensome and toilsome and they work and they work and they have no idea what they're working for because they don't understand the stories. They, they don't have a clue. There's a gospel separation, gospel disconnect, a gospel gap between what they know and what they are doing. Now, not only do they have this gospel disconnect, but they end up distorting the gospel too. They end up distorting the gospel. See, the problem is not so much that they've studied the word of God. That's not the thing. You should study God's Word. You should have a clarity about it. You should understand what's going on here. The the problem is, is that they think that by having all this information, that they are a little bit better than the next person. That their merit before God is because they have all this knowledge accumulated, and it has nothing to do with grace. It has nothing to do with what Christ did on the cross. It has nothing to do with his finished work. Somehow they have value because they have information. And they pride themselves that if somebody asks some awkward, weird, off-the-wall question about some law somewhere, they can give you all the historical interpretations of how that's been interpreted over the years. All the rabbis of the medieval time. How the common rabbis are doing it now. And they think that because they have information, they have value before the Lord. They live a graceless life. 
not dependent on what Christ has done. Therefore, when they communicate the gospel, the gospel ends up being something about doing works, about learning more information, about doing and doing and doing, and what they do is they put the burden on other individuals. You want to have a right walk with God? There's all these services you have to go to. There's all these things you have to do. There's all this, and on and on, and it's just burdensome, toilsome. They've distorted the gospel. Now, let me ask you, as we look at this gospel disconnect, this gospel gap, the separation, and this distortion, hypothetically speaking, if I were able to show you in our church where there is a gap between what we teach and what we do, would you be interested in knowing it? Would you want to know? Or how about personally? If I could show you, you could come over to my office and I could show you where what you are saying, the stories that you give, and how you are living, that there is a, a great separation between the two, that no man can, 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 can unite. Would you be interested in knowing that? Some might nod their heads, but what we see happen here is that most do not care to know that. Most would prefer to keep their tradition. In fact, how the week finishes out is that they crucify Christ because they would rather keep on doing what they're doing rather than repenting and changing, which is, which is very sad. They, they would prefer to keep on doing what they're doing rather than seeking God out. They'd rather continue distorting the gospel. They'd rather continue having this gap between what they know and what they do rather than seeking God out. It's sad when it happens in homes, when parents say one thing and then they act another way. It's sad when kids have all the the Bible drill answers, and they don't have the right living. They're not practicing. And it's sad when churches have an orthodoxy and have no orthopraxis to, to show for it. Here we see that these individuals, they have no desire to change at all. And I guess what's scary, what's so scary, is that it's not because they're ignorant They've got it memorized. It's just that they have hardened hearts and they prefer not to change. See, someone told them a long time ago how to properly interpret and this little young rabbi is not going to teach them anything new. No, sir. No way. We live, we are supposed to be taught by Christ and live what he teaches and we do that by living for God. But the other way that we do this is by serving others. Serving others. So we live for God and we serve others. Now, we don't live for others. That will cause too many problems. That, that will cause too many things in your life. Don't live for others. Serve others. And we see that starting in verse 8 through verse 12. It's just two points. And look, we've got of time. We're going to end out early. 
So don't close your Bibles. Stay with me. It says, uh, verse 8, But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are our brothers. So don't be going around seeking to be called rabbis. Now, it's important to notice this, as I was saying, that this is pre-Paschal. This is before the cross. If you start interpreting this as being like still going on today, you end up having a problem with how you're supposed to interpret Matthew 28, 19 through 20, uh, where you're supposed to be going out and making disciples. That implies somebody is teaching another person, right? Right? Because you can't make a disciple if you're not teaching. Uh, the other thing is uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12, we see the Holy Spirit gifts the church with different uh, gifts. One is the pastor teacher. He's supposed to be involved in teaching so that the people can do the work of the ministry to equip them. So if you interpret this as being still like how you're supposed to go, you'll see there are these churches. They have no, no type of leadership. They just kind of all get together and they sit there for a little bit with their Bibles open and then one finally says something and then another one says something and they say, well, that was great. And they pray and then they leave because they say, well, Christ is our shepherd or he's our pastor. And they totally disregard their ecclesiology, their doctrine of the church, totally disregards what comes after, how God has set up the church to be teaching so that we can be doing. So don't, don't misinterpret this. The thing here is that there's these individuals that love titles. You can always tell these individuals. Before they say their name, they go with blah, 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 Daniel Darling. And you're like, wow, I don't know which one of those titles to pick, you know. Uh, do I have to say them all, or can I just call you Daniel, you know. That's what they do. They, they love titles, and they want people to call them by their titles. And he says, don't, don't live like that, because there's one teacher. Now, in this aspect of being one teacher, the teacher is Christ, and we see that uh, up ahead, too, where this leader, it's also this teacher, the teacher is Christ. Uh, we learn from God's word. That's what we do. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 7 uh, says, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. They had all of Israel gathered there. They had come back from Persia. They were there. They were building the temple. Ezra comes and pulls out the law. And he starts to read it. As he reads it, they all stand. And he's reading the law, but these individuals have lived uh, in a different country with a different language. So he's reading in Hebrew. He's got a whole group of other people that are translating and giving the meaning. Uh, people should be teaching by reading the word and giving its meaning. If a person reads the word and then takes off somewhere else and they give all these nice little stories and blah, 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 and then they say, amen, and they shut their Bible, they're like, you didn't explain the text. I don't understand the text at all. Well, that was a waste of time. We, we teach Christ's teaching when we reflect what's given here, but what's expressed here. We, we show the meaning. That's the point, is to show the meaning. How, how does, what does this mean? Verse... Uh, 10. Uh, do not, sorry, verse 9. Do not call anyone on earth your father. So they went around with these titles of father. 
If the person was very respectful, you'd call him father. He says, don't go around doing that. Don't go around demanding that people will call you father because there's one father and he's in heaven. Now, uh, this aspect of uh, God as father is, is very interesting. It gets uh, started in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, where uh, God makes Adam as his image. And then uh, Adam has a son named Seth, and Seth is in the image of Adam. And so therefore, if Seth is in the image of Adam, and Adam is in the image of God, therefore Seth is in the image of God, right? So this idea of family, that, and of course it doesn't say that about Cain, it sets up one side that's a family, another side that's not. Uh, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God calls Israel his son, his firstborn. So there's this aspect of God being a father over individuals, over nation, Israel, those who come and become a part of Israel. He's the father. There's a lot of theology here that there's this father in heaven. Uh, and then he says in verse 10, uh, but do not call leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. Verse 11, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. There you go. You want to know how to exalt yourself in one easy step? It's by becoming a servant, by serving others. That doesn't mean that when you're serving, you're going around um, taking pictures. You know, you're handing out free food and you're like, you know, uh, I'm going to help this guy out, you know, and then you're posting it. Hold on one second. Yeah, I got, uh, uh, praise the Lord, I served him faithfully today, exclamation mark. That's not what it's about. It's about serving others. You want to be the greatest? You want to be the exalted one? Serve. In verse 12, it says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. That humbled is a passive. And uh, the way passives work is that um, it's not that they're going to humble themselves. They will be humbled. Somebody else will humble them. So if you exalt yourself, someone is going to come and humble you. But whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. That's also a passive. So it's not that the person has to exalt themselves. It's not that they have to go around and say, hey, look, I, I gave away food. God will exalt. Now to do this, to live this type of lifestyle, it requires faith. What, what if no one sees me? What if no one sees me and no one gives me due credit? What if I pick up the socks and, and no one noticed that I pick up the socks? What if I throw the plate away and no one noticed that I threw the plate away? What if I organize the hymnals and the chairs and, and no one notices it? What if it happens week after week after week? It says you will be exalted, but that takes faith, that it will happen. The thing is that most of us, we lack faith, right? You say, well, maybe I can help God out a little bit, you know? I mean, let's not be too exalted. What if I just exalt myself a little bit? This exaltation that happens, it, it's a kind of an interesting word. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to kind of develop it all. But in this context, this exaltation, this word only appears one other time in Matthew, and that's in chapter 11, verse 23, where he's uh, mentioning that uh, Capernaum has raised itself up. 
uh, it's raised itself up and it's exalted itself, and then but Capernaum will be thrown down. Uh, this word, this word for exalted, does also appear in the Gospel of John, and it appears in four uh, places. Uh, the first is in chapter 3, verse 14, where it's talking about uh, just as Moses had to raise up uh, the snake, so the Son of Man will be raised up, will be exalted. And uh, in this sense, I don't think any of us want to be exalted, do we? Not like Christ was put on a cross. Most of us say, well, if exalting means dying, then no thank you, I don't want it. But see, he was exalted, he was raised up so that we wouldn't have to. And by putting our faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, by humbling, coming before him, and accepting what he did on the cross, he will exalt us. But many won't do it. Many would continue being just like the religious leaders having a gap between the knowledge that they have and the practice that they do. Distorting the gospel, telling others, do all these things, and then not putting them one step closer to God. Here what we see is that Jesus says to serve others, you must have a, to live humbly and to live a life of service. And, and it, takes, it takes a lot of faith. Uh, if you remember in John chapter 21, verse 15 and forward, Jesus is talking to Peter. Peter had already failed Jesus. He had denied Jesus. And uh, Jesus has fed Peter some fish, and he gets Peter aside, and he says, Do you love me? And Peter says, Well, of course I do. What was he supposed to do? Feed his sheep. Be involved in other people's lives. See, a love for God leads you to serving others. A love of God does not lead you to serve yourself and take care of yourself. It leads to serving others. Christians must be taught by Christ and apply his teaching to their lives. Remember Don Quixote at the beginning? Did he have information about knights? Oh, he had a ton of information about knights. He read all night, he read all day, but it didn't make him a knight. In fact, he was, as it says, his Wits were dried, and he was delusional. How do we learn? It's by looking at God's Word, having exposed those areas that we, we try to protect. It, it, it exposed those areas where we have a gap between our knowledge and our practice. And what we do is we change. We don't keep on doing the same thing we've been doing year after year. Living for God and serving others. I would encourage you now to bow your heads and, and think about something. Some of you can't do this because you never have trusted Christ as your Savior. And today would be a great day to trust Christ as your Savior. Others haven't been doing this because you've been caught up in exalting yourself all in the wrong way. Instead of focusing on God, you've been focusing on people. And it's carried you to a toil, to a burdensome lifestyle. And you have no hope because you're still focused on individuals. Today would be a good day to repent of that. Father, I pray now as we take time to examine our own heart. Father, for those who are unsaved, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Father, for other of us who maybe we've had years in the gospel, but we have no idea what the stories mean. Pray that we could repent of that 
and that we can close that gap between what we know and what we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you please stand?